Last week we talked about Jesus having a conversation with crowds of people, and in these conversations, he said, you know, if you want to be my disciple, you have to hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister in comparison to your love for me. He said, if you want to be my disciple, that you have to give up your very own life and carry the cross. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to give up everything you own to follow me. And those are three radical scenarios. I mean, Jesus said, look, you want to be my, you want to follow me? I don't even, the son of man doesn't even know where he's going to lay his head tonight. You sure you want to follow me? And I'm thinking about some of the, the seasons that God has some of us in our life right now, where we literally don't know what God's going to do or where he's leading us. And walking by faith and walking blindly is the only way to live in Christ. Being secure and knowing and calculating everything that God wants to do in our life, it creates a boredom where we just exist. But there's something about walking in faith. And uh, so anyways, this week we're, we're following this concept and talking about discipleship. I'm so excited about it. I think it's going to be powerful. I was thinking about what a privilege it is to be called of God. And please understand that many are called, but few are chosen, and that there is a calling on your life. This week, as I prayed for many uh, in, in, within our community, I thought about the frustration that many people have in their calling and in the season that they're in, wondering what it looks like now for God to do anything in their life. And I think one of the problems with that is that because we, we, we get so focused in on how does God fit into the life that I'm living now? But please understand, that that's not wrong, but it's not right. It, it's not how does God fit into the life that I'm living, but how does my life fit into the, like, how, how do I partner my life into the will of God, and how do I follow Jesus into where he's calling me to my work tomorrow? Like, the call of God doesn't mean that you are now in ministry. Please know that your ministry goes to work with you tomorrow. And you have to f like think about and prophesy and dream over what it looks like for you to fulfill God's will in your life tomorrow as you go to work and as, as you're home with your kids. And how, how, what, what does the call of God look like in the natural? Also, uh, before I jump into the series today, um, someone had a cool prophetic word who is hiding in the back right now. Uh, Brandy, uh, Brandy, can you step forward and then just wave? That's fine. That's all I need. Uh, Brandy um, was in the back this morning, and I, I really thought it was, it was very true. And she said, hey, look, I'm standing back here, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying. And she said, I feel like I just keep hearing the word miracles, 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 miracles. Like, I'm here, um, and you have, to, you have to want me. And so anyways, um, I love Brandy, and Brandy's a good part of our church. And I want to invite anyone today, if you feel like that word is for you, seek Brandy after service. Um, this woman loves God, and um, she's terrified that I'm saying this right now, but she is great at prayer. And um, she would love to pray for you, kind of. She's going to be terrified that you approach her. But wouldn't you be? Um, and so uh, I love that, is that God mostly uses people that don't feel qualified, if you look in the scriptures. So we're talking about discipleship. And last week we talked about all of the qualifications to become a disciple. And we wanted to make sure you understood this. Salvation is free. Discipleship costs everything. The reason why it's important for me to say that again is because I want you to know that discipleship is not a qualification of salvation. Discipleship, at its root, is, is, is becoming like Jesus. You're going to hear about this here in the intro to the sermon today, but I want to make sure that you understand that you don't 
the call to have faith in Jesus and to find life in Jesus is free. And it's just based on you realizing that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and that's all grace. Now, when you receive that grace, there is a call to become like Jesus. And I was thinking about this weekend. I texted a few friends. I've asked a few people, what is the greatest call of God? And is it to worship or what is it? And I, and I believe that the, the most daunting call that God would put on any of our lives is that we would become like Jesus. And that is discipleship. And so with that, I'm, I'm proud of this teaching that I think we're going to do over the next 10 weeks, and I think today is at its core. So last week we talked about what it looks like when you're called, right? When Jesus went to Peter and said, leave everything, come follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. And what that looked like for us to leave everything in abandonment to go and follow Jesus. Now I'm going to talk about the process and the traits that a disciple have. Does that make sense? And we'll do that for the next 10 weeks. What are traits and characteristics that a disciple would carry? And so I find that in most of these traits, I struggle with a lot of them. And you may identify in that struggle to possess some of these traits. What I would encourage you to do is find a friend and ask for help. And let's become more like Jesus. Does that make sense? Cool. We're jumping in here. Um, and so um, what a disciple look like um, in the early church, in the biblical times when Jesus was walking the earth, a disciple was someone that followed a rabbi, okay? And so the process of this, we've talked about this before, and I'm only going to talk about it this week because it appeals to today's subject. So I'm going to give you some history on what an early disciple looked like in Judaism, um, in, as an Israelite back in the day. So a kid at the age of six, from the ages of four to eight, um, the age of six would be a prime number, they would go to school just like our kids go to school in our education process. But the desire for a family back then, the greatest honor amongst any family would be for a kid, my kid, my son, my daughter, to become a rabbi, to become a teacher. Like I really wanted them to go to school, to learn, 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 learn. But if they could become a rabbi, this would be the greatest honor for my household. If not, my son would do the household trade. He would be a carpenter. They'd be a fisherman. They would, they would learn the trade of the home. And so they would go to school at the age of four to eight, and they would go to a school that they called Beit Sefir. Everyone, can you everyone say Beit Sefir? Beit Sefir. And so at the ages of from four to six, kids would go to Beit Sefir. And in this, um, I, I think that there's an I in there. Uh, it may be a typo. I'm sorry. No, there's not. It's, uh, I wrote it that way. There you go. So anyways, I, I misspelled it for you, Scotty. Um, and so anyways, at the uh, age of from four to eight, a kid would go to school and they wouldn't just go to school to learn math. The predominant hope of this child's education would be to learn the Pentateuch. And the Pentateuch is the first four books of, of the, the, the Torah. It was Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and Leviticus. I don't know if you as a believer have spent much time reading the Bible, but if uh, when you start getting into Leviticus, man, those chapters get long. It gets boring. And these little kids in the ages of four to eight would memorize line by line by line the first five books of the Torah. And that is a really difficult scenario. And the best kids, the most elite kids, would be able to graduate and go on to a greater school from there at the age of eight. They would move on to a school called Beit Talmud. Everyone say Beit Talmud. 
where they would continue on in their learning. They would memorize the rest of the Old Testament, Isaiah, the Psalms, the Proverbs. These kids up to the age of 12 would memorize the whole Old Testament, line by line, line by line, word for word, word for word. They would go into schools and, and, and into the, the, the temples. You remember the story in Luke chapter 2 where Jesus is teaching? He's a little boy, and he's found in the temple courts amongst the Pharisees. This is what Jesus is in Beit Talmud. They would go there, and they would be questioned by other Pharisees, and the Pharisees would spit out a verse for them, and the kid would try to go into his memory and try to quote the verse before it and the verse after it. And the most elite kids could, could hang with these Pharisees. And so what would happen is if the kid was the best of the best of the best of the best, he would graduate from Beit Talmud and he would go on to the last school uh, where he would, he would go up and he would approach a Pharisee at the age of 12 and he would say to the Pharisee, hey, hey, Rabbi, I, um, I, I want to be in your Beit Medresh your Beit Midrash. And so from the ages of 12 to 16, they would, they would walk around with these rabbis, one, like in these small groups. And it was the hope that that kid would one day become a rabbi, that he would be dubbed the best of the best of the best of that rabbi. That rabbi would only pick one person to become his disciple. He had many disciples, but only one would, would live on after him and take his place. And so these, these kids, they would follow everything that these rabbis did. As they would walk behind them, their fathers would bless their sons. As they would leave their home to go into the Beit Medresh, he, he would, they would bless them. That the, may, may the dust of your rabbi be ever upon you. Because all of these kids would follow their rabbi wherever they went. They would, it would be an honor to be covered in the dirt that your rabbi walked in. I mean, it was such an honor to be like this. These, these rabbis, they would, they would pick so ever closely which one that they were going to pick at the age of 12. It became like a household title and sentence that people understood a lot. Like, you know, we know congratulations or happy birthday. This is like a big household name in our culture or title or sentence that we would say to someone. In their culture, it was latch ikarai. Because as these kids would approach these rabbis and say, hey, can I be your disciple? Can I come into your Beit Medresh? The disciple would watch them and study them because they wanted to make sure that their theology and the things that they believed in mirrored. And what do you mean by theology? You know, as we all love the Lord, we all have different agendas with our faith. Some people give more. Some people serve more. Some people pray more or have more faith or some people study more or some people like to teach more. And so the, the, the rabbis wanted to make sure that they had the best version of them that would go on to, to, to become them years later. To the point where the, these kids would follow in, the, in their rabbi's teaching so much, it was often said, I mean, you can Google this just about everywhere, that if a rabbi had a lisp, all of the disciples would have a lisp. If the rabbi had a, a, a limp, these kids would fake a limp their whole life for four years until one day they just had a limp now because they wanted to become so much like their rabbi that the rabbi favored them. And this is the hope of discipleship. When Jesus says, go into all the nations and make disciples, he's, he's, what he's saying is, I want people to be like me. 
I want these kids to know the word. I want them to know my mission. I want them to know my words. I want them to know my heart. I want them to know my agenda and how I would respond in every circumstance when someone is sick or poor or broken or alone or, or cast out by the church or cast out by the world. I want, to, I want you to mirror my agenda in that situation. And so these kids would grow up in this process until the rabbi would invite them at the age of 12 and he would say this awesome sentence, latch ikarai, which would mean come, follow me. Well, what's really funny about the process of discipleship, in my opinion, is Peter, who was fishing in Matthew chapter 2, we read it last week, when he's fishing and he's not catching any fish, Here's a guy who wasn't the best of the best in any of the schools that he went to. In fact, he had to go back to doing the trade of his father. He wasn't picked because of his education. He wasn't picked because of how smart he was or how much faith he has. In fact, he wasn't even the best at what he did for a trade. And Jesus still approached him with this awesome, daunting scenario and said, hey, la chikarai, which doesn't mean anything in our culture, but Peter knew exactly what that meant. I mean, he got the opportunity to skip middle school and high school and go right to getting a, a, a doctorate degree, you know, and have the opportunity to follow Jesus and become like his rabbi. That's huge. I think about that because that's grace. I don't have the Pentateuch, the, the Torah memorized. I don't have the Old Testament memorized. There, there's a few verses that I know from the Old Testament and the Bible and Psalms and these kinds of things. But if you spit out a verse, I couldn't name the one before it or after it. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, this is all grace, this invitation that we've been invited to. But please understand that the calling is still very present and the work was still very real for Peter to become a disciple of Jesus. There was a lot of rebuking and teaching going on to Jesus. Constantly, Peter would react. You know, I think about the time where the, this is not in my notes, but it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I need to get, I'll say this quickly, where John and, and, uh, and his brother, they're, they're, they're having this problem where these people are, are, are being upset with Jesus, and, they're, and John looks over at Jesus, and he goes, hey, Jesus, you want, you want they're trying to act in faith, you know, like we can do something great. Hey, you want us to pray fire down from heaven on these people and kill them? You know, and Jesus is like, oh, God. Nope, that's not it. Like, and constantly the disciples weren't doing it right. I say that because I believe that I am looking at a lot of people today that feel like I suck, and I'm not doing it right. And I, there's not many times where Jesus looks at his disciples and he goes, you guys got it. Like, you've, you've arrived. You're doing it. And so if you share the same feeling inside me, that desire to be great, knowing that we're probably missing it on some level, then you also qualify for this great statement of Lachikarai. Come and follow me. But there is a price that we'll have to pay. That's my intro today. That's cool. Okay, cool. That was point one, is what do disciples look like back when Jesus was reading, when living. Not when Jesus was, yeah, okay. So there's this statement that Jesus said, and I'm going to get into uh, the sermon. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, he said to the Jews who believed in him, he said to the Jews who believe in him, 
If you abide in my word, you are my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Men, if there's anything that I could say that I hope would sink into you today, what is the call of God on your life now that you believe? Now that you've picked up the cross and you've chosen to live after Jesus? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. But there's such a problem that's happening in our generation right now that I believe has not happened in any other generation. We have lost relationship with the Bible. And it is atrocious. And so we're talking about what are the traits and the characteristics of someone that would say, I want to follow Jesus. The first one, the first one is learning the word. Please understand, I, I, um, I think that there are a lot of great teachings online today. It is not God's will for your life to learn Stephen Furtick's sermon today. In fact, I don't care if you like my sermon today. But I don't want you to be my disciple. I don't want you to be Stephen Furtick's disciple or Benny Hinn's disciple or Bishop T.D. Jake's disciple. I want you to be Jesus' disciple. And for that, what's happening is there's so many teachings that are going out right now that are so good. Man, it's so good. Oh, I love the way he said that. It was so interesting. It was so good. We are so missing the mark because you're, I don't need you to know my words. I need you to know Jesus' words because this is the life. This is what's going to jump off the page and actually fill you with boldness tomorrow when you are in a situation. Will you abide in my words? You abide in my words, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. There's five reasons I think that you should read the Bible. I've Googled about 48 to 50 different pages of people that would say why to read the Bible. So please understand, I just came up with five points. I picked five random points. There are about a million and 28 reasons why you should read the Bible. I'm just giving you five. You don't like them? Totally cool. Pick another one. But uh, it's probably because it's good. But here's number five, to know the truth. Man, I can't emphasize this enough. I cannot emphasize this enough. I cannot emphasize this enough. You know that the enemy is, is like a roaring lion. He would seek after who he would devour. He is just a liar. He is the prince of darkness. He is a deceiver. He is a deceiver. He is a deceiver. He is a deceiver. I have so many friends that to this day, like right now, I get teary-eyed when I think of or I hear their name that loved God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, were some of the best worshipers and, and, and evangelists and servants that I know that are no longer serving Jesus because they got deceived and they fell into a trap. You have to know the truth. Point number five, listen to this, man. I think it's so cool. Jesus, in Matthew chapter four, verses one through four, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and he became very hungry. No kidding. I watch Naked and Afraid. These people are passing out after two days, you know. I don't watch Naked and Afraid. I do watch Naked and Afraid. All right, here we go. Uh, I love it. Uh, during that time, the devil came and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus said to him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Or that, that comes out of the mouth of God. I... um. I know that what you need to do is eat food. Jesus would say it 
I, I, th- th- my food is, is not of this world, but my food is, is manna from heaven. My food is the word. Like, I don't know if you realize that it's more important for you to recognize truth. I'm married, and there are times in my life where the enemy has told me, life would be so much better if you just left this person. There are lies that slip into our head that in for one moment, if we believe in it or buy into it, man, it's over. As a guy, there are some lies that come into my eyes that I have to remind myself that my eyes are the window to my soul. I can't, for one moment, if I buy into that, I can ruin everything that I've built in my life. Truth is so important that we, that we understand it, that we get into it, that we buy into it, and that we live it. Because deception is real. I mean, just discord in the church and discord amongst people. We have to know that we are people that will know that you're disciples by your love for one another. Mm, truth. But we forget it when we're not married to it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's good and perfect and pleasing will. I know there's a lot of things on your schedule tomorrow. A lot. I know there's a lot of things on your schedule Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But please understand, you are already a believer. But if you want to be a disciple, if you want to become like Jesus, you cannot do it outside of God's word. I can't preach that enough. I can't say it. If you don't like it, I'm sorry if it offends you. You cannot be Jesus' disciple if you don't read his word. Cool. Number Number four. It's a powerful weapon. I think of the, the, the spiritual warfare that's happening in our lives. The spiritual warfare that's happening in our lives on a daily basis. Whether we see it or not, we live in a spiritual world. There, there is angels all around us. There are some other garbage I don't even like to give glory to going on in our lives. And there is discouragement happening. There is so much crap and oppression and, and depression and physical illness that is coming against us. Yet as disciples, we're told that we're powerful. The weapons of our warfare, though, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. There is situations and stuff and crap happening in our life, and if we don't know truth, if we don't know what weapons that God has given us, ain't much warfare we're doing. And so I think about the fight that God has put in our life. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What I love about the Word of God is it's not just defensive or reactive, it's active. And what's so good about, about having a weapon is that I can, I can move forward. I can advance the kingdom of God. It's great when finances come against us and me and my wife hold hands and we pray and we pray God's word and we re- remember, oh, wait, 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 wait. we're not going to panic. We're not going to act in fear. We're going to stand on God's word and we're going to move forward. We're actually going to advance. I'm not going to stop giving. I'm not going to stop being generous. I'm going to do what God told me to do in my life. I'm going to live in faith for health and everything else that's going on in our lives, we have a weapon. And we can choose not to. And so what happens when we don't use the weapon? Then we become overcome. Joshua, uh, uh, oh, I thought, oh, these verses are pretty cool. Is, isn't the word of God like a fire, says the Lord? Is it is in, in like a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces? Is it not like a fire and like a hammer? You don't know it. You don't know how strong and how powerful it is if it's not in you. Jeremiah said that the, the word of God is, is like fire shut up in my bones. And, but you've got to get it in you. And when you're reading it and something, you realize that, oh, man, that's for me. 
Your soul comes alive like nothing. No other book can do this. No TV show can do this. No, no Mercedes commercial or anything can string your hearts like this word can, man. I'll tell you right now. All right, cool. Uh, number three, to understand his promises and his will. To understand his promises and his will. To understand his promises and his will. Why is the Bible important for us to become a disciple? Because I think that we can forget where we're going or what he is wanting to do currently in our life. We get stuck in the now. We get stuck in the busyness. We get stuck in the crazy. But it's so important that we know where we're going. Some of us live in the moment. But we have to know what is God, what is he promising? Where am I setting my heart? Where am I setting the compass in my life? Here's a few verses for you. For the word is like a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Joshua said, and the book of the law shall not depart from my mouth, but you shall meditate it therein day and night, and you shall observe in according to all that is written in it, and he shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. I choose to believe it. Point number two, so that I would know him. Because I... Although there are some good speakers, I choose to not trust that Matt Chandler is telling the truth. I choose to just read it. And when God's word speaks to me as an individual, and then I, I, I find that this is happening and unfolding in my life, now I know that God's not a liar. I know that God is not dead. I know that he has a relationship with me, and I know that I can trust him. And I'm learning who he is. Please understand, we're not making up Jesus in 2018. This has been written for a long time. And he says that he's alive, and he's alive through his word. It's living and active. Hmm. I want to know him. Yes, to know the power of the resurrection and to participate in his sufferings and to become like him in his death. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4. In reading this, I thought this is so, so plain and simple. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Hey, just read this, and you'll understand all the, all, the, all the questions that you have. I love it, I love it, I love it. There's a video that I wanted to show you, uh, point number two, to know him. Because when I, when I, when I read the word, I know him. Uh, I've shown this video three different times in our church, and I'll probably show it 1,500 times yet, because I forget how important the Bible is to know God. Did you see this? <laughs> Sorry for the poor quality. If you want to YouTube it, you can see their tears on their cheeks. But we don't know. You know, we don't, we, I think many of us forget the, how many people were burned at the stake, how many people were beheaded so that this book can be transcribed and passed on from generation to generation to generation. This is still the top seller in the world, and it will be 
forever and ever and ever because it is alive and it is the living hope for all the nations and it is the living hope for my home. It is the hope for me to become the father that my kids need to look at. As I can tell you, I turn into a jerk when I get outside of this book. What is your relationship like with the word? It's become so easy to read that we've made it as common as Facebook, and it's not. Please understand that I think the greatest call of God on your life is to become like Jesus, and you can't do this. You can, you can love Jesus, and he can be your Lord, but to follow him where he wants you to go, you're going to need a lamp onto your feet. And I believe that this is right from heaven. It's about as boring of a sermon as you can get. But I need boring in the midst of the chaos in my life. Last point, number one. Why, why do I read the Bible? Because this is how you will know his voice. I believe with every fiber of my being. There are five different ways that I've found that God speaks to his people. I believe that he speaks through prophets. I believe that he speaks uh, through the audible voice of God. I believe that he speaks through counsel. Uh, I, I, there's another way I forget. And the last one is that I, he, I believe he speaks through his word. But in any way that God is speaking to you, if it doesn't line up with what is written, it's simply not accurate. I can't tell you how many times uh, I've been a Christian now for a while. I've, people have prophesied in my life, you know. Uh, they, they've come and told me, hey, look, man, I got a word from the Lord, and I, I feel like uh, this is going to be your wife. What? I'll tell you right now. I saw that lady. She ain't my wife. I'll tell you right now. Uh, and, uh, but people will prophesy some crazy things about transition or something. But if it doesn't come, God's word should always be reaffirmed the next morning when you're reading the Bible. Like if someone can't say they have a word for you, hey, that's fantastic. Write it down, get it written, and now go to the word. And I promise, God will give you a verse that lines up directly with it if that's something that you're supposed to be doing. And if he doesn't, then don't follow it. But this is the greatest way that God speaks to his people. If you want to know the voice of God, here it is. If you want to know the voice of God, here it is. If you want to know what God's voice sounds like, it sounds like it is written. I love that the enemy came to Jesus in Matthew 4 speaking to him and quoting scripture. And Jesus came back over top saying, no, 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 no. Because you've got to know what God's will is for your life through this book. And you'll know God's voice. Here's here, here, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I think this is the coolest, man. And the word of God is quick, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and to the spirit, and the joints and the marrow, and it's the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. What I know about the word of God is it calls me out more than anything in the world. If you are, Raise your hand if you know that you're prideful. Spouses, go ahead and tell your husband. Or, you know, they're... There is nothing that can get to me faster with truth than the Bible. It, my wife can tell me 85 different times of what I'm supposed to do, but I don't listen. Because I know, I know that how to fix the lawnmower. 
just, you don't know. But when I get to the word, I'll tell you, he tells, you're an idiot. And, he'll, and it, something about the lawnmower will be in the Bible. Like, it'll just make sense. Because it, it's a knower of the in thoughts and the intents of the heart. It divides the soul. It, it gets through all of our, 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 our wounds and everything like that. Like, hey, you got a problem or an issue with someone. It gets right in there to the heart and divides it and says, look, you're wrong. You, you need to say you're sorry. Okay. But you don't know that if you don't know his voice, if you're not living in the word the next morning. Here's the last one. I'm going to read you the last verse of the day. It says, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and training and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. I love that he's talking about how the scripture is breathed out by God. First of all, this is God speaking to his people. If, if you ain't got there, I, I encourage you to read it with me because he'll confirm that. This is not like just something that we believe in our church. This is most denominations that are not crazy believe this basic principle. If they don't believe that, please get nervous when you talk to them. But I love that it talks about how it's, how it's designed for teaching and for reproof and recorrection. And some transitions would say rebuking and equipping. And yes, the Bible is used for rebuking. And, and sometimes you need to uh, you know, there was a, a lady that goes to our church. I'm not going to mention her name, but she's as quiet as a mouse. She got me in the other, last week in the hallway after I was done a teaching, and she got right in front of me, and she goes, hey, can I tell you something? You're wrong. And I said, what? Right after the sermon. And, uh, and I said, what? And she said, yeah, you're wrong. And I said, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. No, you're wrong. And she, and she wouldn't let me go until I, I looked at her, and then I heard it, and then I heard it, and I knew I was wrong. Keith Kelso, your wife is the meanest person in the whole world, man. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you guys who said it, you know. And she's mean when she get, but she was right. She was right. She was right. She was right. Cool. But man, I tell you, Judy Kelso was one of the most anointed people in the whole world. <laughs> Carrier of God's word, man, I'll tell you. She was right. But I'll tell you, if my wife said it, I wouldn't believe her. You know what I mean? But, yeah. Okay, so here, here's my question. You know what? I, here's a, can we, can we, uh, can the, um, can we, um, yeah. Good. Hey, guys, this is, this is how we're going to close today. How do you study the Bible? How, how, how do you read the Bible? When was the last time you did read the Bible? You have to know that life is busy right off the bat. You have to know that, that TV is designed to be more interesting than the Bible. This is what the enemy set up. Christian movies, which are terrible, are designed to be more interesting than reading the Bible until you start reading the Bible. And then you start loving it. Like, it's so good for you. And I can tell you how you should read the Bible, and you know. It's like listening to someone that work, like, like that. You know you should work out. Yeah, I know. I know I should. You, you know you should lose weight. Yeah, I know. I know I should lose. You know you should read the Bible. And when you do, you know how good it is for you. I could talk about how you should do it, but you've got to decide whether you're going to or not. But I do believe that we should repent for having not done it. 
Today, I'm not going to ask if you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you if you want to make the Word of God an instrument of your life. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes with me?